0: Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to Bilge Pumps episode 25. Uh, We're now a quarter century, so that's apparently some kind of arbitrary marker which we should celebrate in some manner before we do that let's actually get on with the content for today so we're going to be talking about two things um maritime security which we'll probably be discussing a little bit later on uh, when we introduce our special guest and fingers
2: crossed fingers (laughs) crossed because we are worried about the curse with a special guest we're always worried about the curse (laughs)
1: um but more immediately uh, we're going to discuss the semi-surprising announcements of um the british government is actually going to be giving the royal navy more money um i mean it is 2020 so uh, uh, yeah, remarkably yeah, there's, there's, un- unlikely occurrences are sort of par for the course these days but shall we take a little smoke bit more and mirrors around?
0: smoke and mirrors abound we, we need to check this <laughs> um, i think we've already figured out that it actually means six billion a year as opposed to um however many billions it was that it was of the headline well here.
2: it averages out at six billion a year it's going to be seven billion extra by four years time which i'll believe when i see it in four years time But I have to say, there is part of me which is in there going, there are some things I quite like in this. There are some things I'm hearing which I'm not liking, like people going, well, the Type 32 could be an entirely new design. The whole point about it having the Type 31 is that's the cheap frigate we're building. Continue building them, they'll get cheaper. But the Type 32,
0: I think I like Drax's earlier idea of it being the Challenger bolted onto a landing ship, landing craft. Well, it's not even that, was it? It was
1: It was, uh, it was, it some was barrels, stra- um... straps some barrels to the side of a Challenger 2. Then you've got a fully armoured 120mm floating gun platform. <laughs> okay. Type 32 and, yep, you've got yeah. And, and yeah. it. And it might, it might even keep the army happy. Yeah, and to be honest, that, 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 that kind of size and profile, it's actually going to have a very low radar signature.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of the poor submarine trying to torpedo it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, uh, yes. Anyway, so on with the rest of the program that we actually know something about.
2: Well, you know, there are some things on this. I'm sorry, we are being, jo- uh, we're also being joined by both fluffy research assistants today. Well, uh, mine is really, really making himself presence felt and front and center in front of the camera. Um, so, the thing about, uh, I would say, about all this, looking at it, is the British government are basically reacting to the maritime security threat at the moment. That's the reason if you look at what they're talking about funding what are the increases in? Is it type 26? No, it's type 32 which is probably going to be an extension of the type 31. They're talking about the literal strike ship. They're talking about the fleet solid support ship. They're also I have to admit and I have sent this through to you because a very interesting gentleman put it far better than I can and I sent it through to the, uh, to my colleagues because, well, frankly, if someone else puts it better than me, I'm quite happy to do it. James Rogers who's um, at James underscore Rogers on Twitter uh, has put forward an 11 point assessment of this and he used to pointed out eight. In addition, it signals to increasingly important UK partners like the Gulf States, Japan and the countries of five power defensive arrangements that global Britain is going to uphold the means to reach support and work with them. Nice. Nine geostrategically, due to its focus on the Royal Navy and forward presence, it confirms anticipated tilt towards the Indo Pacific region, very much in keeping with the global Britain vision, which this government has signed up to a lot. And domestically, the military spending focus boost is further evidence of Boris Johnson's commitment to level up the UK insofar as it will enhance technology and generate jobs outside of London and South East England, simultaneously reinforcing the British Union. I think that is the most important thing. I think that's why the Navy's getting the funding. I think that's why they're doing the things they are because frankly the easiest and quickest way and people go oh with covid this doesn't make sense but actually if you consider it with the damage that covid has done to the economies and all sorts of thing, uh, those sort of things actually this is something which government can very quickly very easily start off to start the economy going and that's got to be part of the maritime security thing keeping your stra- uh, keeping your economy going keeping your country working getting, having jobs These are the things which they can do, and the easiest thing they can do
1: is defence spending. Yeah, and and one of the things one of of the things that was actually very I thought was showed someone had actually thought about this as opposed to um, your standard political flag waving was the inclusion of the solid storeships, because it means if you're going to because obviously if you're going to increase the size of the Royal Navy surface combatant fleet. One of the key things is you, one of the key strengths of the Royal Navy at the moment is that apart from the US Navy, it's pretty much the only other Navy that can deploy its entire active strength anywhere on the planet, thanks to its logistics train. And if you're going to be increasing the size of the Royal Navy, in surface combatants you also have to increase the size of your fleet train and someone appears to have actually realized that and included some more rfa vessels on the list
2: well maybe, so maybe we someone's help.
1: been reading about the british pacific fleet lately
2: yeah we can always hope or perhaps they have be listening to bilge pumps mm. honestly <laughs> they could have been listening to us because that's the other thing that order has been so far always billed as two with an option for a third two with an option for a third we all thought it was going to be two and now this has gone three
0: what three what Briefly, Three carriers. The solid
2: support ships.
0: Oh, <laughs> From <laughs> over okay. there, I thought you were going to get another carrier. <laughs>
2: um, oh, well, I, I'm going to keep arguing for the LHDs uh, to replace Albion and Bulwark. A ski Ramp enhanced LHDs, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, And also the literal strike ships are going to get built, which is lovely because they're British versions of a literal strike ship, not a literal combat ship, which so, is so- basically they're going to, to be carrying and... a whole load of raw marines and basically be something which can self-sustain around the world and have... Uh, to extent, it, it's a compliment to the Bay class. Basically, the idea is the Bay class can move your heavy supplies, everything, everywhere you need, but you need something which can turn up, which actually has a hangar and all the stuff for forward combat operations if you want your special forces etc. to be operating forward. They're worrying about awfully... special forces bases basically.
0: It sounds awfully like the Iranian thing that was just paraded in front of the TV cameras today.
2: Ah, yes, and the Americans have them as well. The, 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 oh. You know, the, the, this idea is you have a row-row ship you convert to support your specials around the world instead of basing them somewhere that you have to then secure. People have that- suddenly started to realise that having a base you can find on Google is not good for security.
1: <laughs> also sounds a little bit like, um, again, sounds like they were listening to us when we were talking about having these kinds of multi-purpose uh, landing-type ships which can then be repurposed for disaster relief and such in peacetime yeah because that's exactly the kind of thing you would use for that that kind of purpose helicopter yeah. landing is, deck row capability you can load up tons of supplies and vehicles roll up to it, is, you it need.
0: is a capacity you're lost when you're flogged off um,
2: ocean yes yeah we, we mean, the bay class have been filling in but let's be honest the bay class what they do they fit a temporary hangar on them mm. which is kind of an interesting solution because you sit so, there and go, so, so, which BrightSpark actually deleted the freaking hangar from this design? And also, was it the same one who deleted the hangars from Albion and Bulwark? Mm-hmm. Can we please sign this BrightSpark? Stop so how, far
0: deleting- is this, so how far does this six billion a year go towards recovering what's been lost in the recent decades?
2: Um, I would say if you considered what's been cut, etc., this is long overdue, and if I'd been starting to recover those capabilities, the figure I'd have probably been looking at is to start off with aiming eight to $9 billion in four years' time as extra. So this is a little bit less than what I would like, but I am wondering if this little bit less than what I'd like relax, uh, reflects the fact that the Army's plan has definitely not been codified yet. And the Army, the, the trouble is, Uh, This is going to sound strange. The Navy and the Air Force have managed to present a very structured, very organized, very balanced perspective. The army is still fighting to an extent the fights over wheels or tracks and all sorts of things internally. The army is having a lot of. Well, actually, I would say vigorous (laughs) debates are useful. I would say vigorous debates like they've got going on are useful in terms of working out what you need for the future of the army. The trouble is, right now, they make it very difficult for someone to, put, to through a, uh, put together a coherent plan to present government with what you want. Whereas the Royal Navy is basically going, we, well, if you want us to be around the world, we need to have forward-based ships, i.e. Type 31s and Type 32s, I'm presuming. We need to have we need to have carrier battle groups, which is our carrier and our Type 45s and our Type 26s. We need to have supply ships to keep them around the world, and uh, we need amphibious uh, capability. And that's a very coherent plan. The air force is going. We need two fleets of strike aircraft. The Royal Navy, of course, needs half of one of those fleets to support their carriers. So. That makes that case for them. We need I star aircraft. We need you know it's a very coherent plan being able to put together by all of those two services. Mm-hmm. The Army's one is, well, what kind of army do you want? Do you want us to fight in I don't know Eastern Europe against a Russian invasion in which case we need an armored division? Or do you want us to glow globetropping around the world? In which case, we probably need a wheeled strike brigade that we can de- rapidly deploy somewhere in the world. Oh, um, and by the way, it's probably going to have to be rapidly deployed by ship because none of our wheeled vehicles seem to be able to fit in our aircraft at full uh, with full armour on.
0: Does this mean that um, those ships should therefore be transferred to army command?
2: No. The army would, uh, the army would love that, but that's not going to happen. Uh, in the nicest way, the army, I think if they did try that would be looking at a very problematic scenario they the thing is they need the navy to be doing that because those ships will need to be part of the navy carrier battle group and we have tried army having their own ships on several occasions in the past and britain has learned its lessons (laughs) multiple times (laughs)
0: well hey what's, what's one more (laughs)
2: Uh, The classic example is Norway Where the navy ships went one way Because the admiral had agreed with the general That there was going to be an operation in one space So the navy ships went one way to support them And the convoy which Which was ships chartered by the army Decided to go somewhere else Because the general changed his mind And then the navy had to A. Find the convoy Which were on radio silence So they could escort them and B, this was more fun. That they ended up being neither in neither in, in the place the general wanted, because for some reason the merchant ships didn't feel safe without escort going at the speed, and they didn't end up where the admiral wanted because the admiral didn't have them when he needed them. So uh, yes, we now we now have learnt that so, this so, will not happen again.
0: So it sounds to me like an absolutely perfectly secure, uh, operationally secure um, operation. It I mean, was. Have How could anyone have intercepted that convoy?
2: No one could, because not even that convoy knew where it was. (laughs) 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 And let's be honest, there were no German submarines with working torpedoes around, so they didn't have to worry about those, although they didn't know it. Oh, Norway. Such a fun operation.
0: So the global frigate, the Type 26, what's the story there?
2: Still building eight at the moment.
0: Right, so that was it was eight all along or or was it uh six tentatively something else?
2: It was eight all along, but the interesting thing is one thing that's appeared that I don't know if other people have noticed. But and the thing I've been looking through the various contracts and listening to some various things, and they've started talking about eight, but all the contracts For supplies and for long lead items to go in there are being optioned for more so which of course is potentially i that a type 32 could be an adaption of the type 26 rather than the type 31 that could be what they're talking about but it's kind of interesting when you hear that go so you're confirmed for eight but you've got not there's an option for more so eight times kit so there could be more ships coming it could be just standard procurement procedure going through which would make sense so it's it could mean thing.
0: that type 32 is a type 31 equipped for but not with
2: well the type 31 is already a equipped for but not with in many respect to extent some people's reviews but in my view it's basically your flak defense ship i'm wondering if the Type 32 will be different in that I'm wondering if they are going to replace the 57mm with a 76mm. And I'm wondering if they're going to put in MCMV gear. I So the Type 31 is orientated around having, it has these great module bays that it can slot in and out different equipment and all these things. So it can theoretically do the MCMV job i.e. with the modern version when it's acting as a mothership to all these uh, these unmanned systems and other systems go off it, uncrewed systems. But I'm wondering if the Type 32 is going to be even more orientated around that role. And that will make sense. You know, we've got a cheap, big frigate we are building, already building five of. Build the second batch and modify it to the role you need it to do.
0: you sure Type 32 just isn't a uh, political code for... We want more ships. We don't know how we're going to pay for it.
2: Well, that's the interesting thing. Again, by going for the free, you see, if they'd gone for a two digit. That would suggest that they were going for another frigate like the Type 26, which in which case it would be a case of we don't know how to pay for it, but we want more ships. They've gone for the free, which is the designating for the cheap and cheerful frigates in the Royal Navy's terminology at the moment. And that's a very specific thing. And those ships are limited by their fixed price contract. So basically, the Royal Navy is agreed a deal where they will pay this amount of money and up front. And it's almost all it's paid almost in one big lump, but it's paid various amounts along. it's very much control budget. And there is a ceiling on how much each unit can cost. And this that, is why seems... I think it's probably the type 31 continuing. Mm. It, it, it sounds problematic until you realize that what they did was they de-risked the type 30, 31 design to the nth degree. They went for a existing design which had already been fully tested. They are building it in a yard which is fairly capable but is also using a lot of people coming across from Denmark to help to make sure that we're getting design because it is a Danish design and they're using equipment and everything which is off the shelf already working together and that was the interesting criteria there are lots of people went oh you could go for this equipment which is better off the shelf or this equipment is better off the shelf but the thing was the stuff they're going for was off the shelf and already working together so you don't have to pay for those development costs or at least as much of those development costs to get the things to communicate and all work on uh, work together
0: i'm just remembering Australia had a very similar contract to that with its uh, uh, procurement of the Collins-class submarines. And what they got when the first sub was delivered was a whole set of nicely antique PC computers that were state-of-the-art when the order was placed, but well and truly out of date by the time the order was delivered.
2: Yeah, this is slightly different in that... How do I put this? We, uh, the system, it's being built with, you do worry about that sort of circumstance, but they've gone with a open architecture software based off the standard Royal Navy procurement system, uh, standard Royal Navy computing architecture, the hardware. And so in some extent, that's all bought in phases by the Navy anyway. And, and I guess the other
0: happened. thing is, is, it's not like you're buying a gaming machine, is it? You're buying a machine that does a job. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter whether you've got the glitziest, um, um, <laughs> most heavily advertised glossy magazine version.
2: So it will actually look fairly good on the inside. I have this feeling because I've been looking around some of the virtual 3D presentations for the Type 31 and it looks good. It looks very sensibly organized. I wouldn't be surprised. And this is a sneaking suspicion I have. That if anyone has to do a task group command from a frigate, they prefer a Type-31 over a Type-26. And the reason I say that is the Type-26 is the better frigate by a long stretch. It's the anti-submarine it is world-beating. It's got space to change around things. It's got all sorts of things. It's lovely. But the Type-31 has so much space. You
0: have to change it to Benny Hill. We do. Who was that?
2: <laughs> I have no idea. I don't recognise the number. Anyway. It's an uh, it, it's an O six number, so I'm fairly sure it's someone calling to try and um, sell you get uh, get sell me something.
0: Um, so where else uh, um, is the money going for the navy? Then um, you said you said dry stores. That's you know, and you solid said uh, sorry.
2: The solid yeah, the dry stores Sold. ships, solid stores, and Yeah, I also have a feeling the money is going on uncrewed systems, and I wouldn't be surprised. Interestingly enough, I have a feeling the Royal Navy is about to get some uncrewed rotary aviation.
0: Well, the marine glossy vids seem to be going down that path.
2: Yeah, and how do I put this? Okay. So, the River class. Patrol vessels and the Type Thirty One, the River class patrol vessels, have space for a container to be stuck on one side, which can be used as a hangar for a rotary aviation vehicle. The Type Thirty Ones have actually got a space for a rotary aviation vehicle to be parked in their hangar. The Type Twenty Sixes have—I I seem to remember—and I'm not sure if it's still there on all the plans, but there is a little door and a big door. And little door is for the rotary aviation, the little UAV.
0: I think they were supposed to have some sort of module in the centre section that they could sort of shove it through from the the back to the to the middle of the ship.
2: Yeah, and um, the sort of things. And um, so everything's setting up for it. I'm wondering if it can be done. If it can be done. The other interesting thing I'm looking at is we're talking about uncrewed aviation here. Well, they're talking about getting something similar to the, um, uh, the um, loyal wingman, which the Australians, are, of course, have are pioneering, and that might be another reason why we are so clo- we are getting so palsy with the Australians at the moment. Going, I think that's very think?
0: quickly becoming a five eyes project because um, you know the, yeah. the the US equivalent looks very very similar um, as well, and um, you know obviously you guys have been expressing interest in the, the, the project I have, i'm not sure about the canadians but uh,
2: i think the canadians won't be far behind because they're very good at interesting on it but interesting enough, the british are talking about it when we're talking about it we're saying it's going to be able to partner with our f-35 fleet in every way now to me that means that we think it's going to be capable of operating from the queen elizabeth class
0: mm-hmm. yeah i guess i would have to would, would would almost necessarily be a given
2: and that could be interesting, especially if we get it operational before the Americans get one operational. <laughs> so I'm sure the on, Royal Navy would not gloat in any way, shape or form if that happened. Even but, if it had RAF on the side, they would not be gloating.
0: <laughs> on the subject of gloating, um, how does the uh, Queen Elizabeth class air group look at this point?
2: Well, that's the interesting thing. We've got a whole debate, and Drak and I are similar when it comes to scepticism over government procurements. I don't think either of us believed that they would ever get the full 138. Uh, I thought that was a sort of a lifetime buy. I never thought that was going to be a fleet buy. Um, and at the moment, they sell... Basically, they've said... Uh, from what I'm reading, there are various newspaper articles coming out on this one, the various things... The government has agreed to contract for 21 more. Now, considering they only had a contract for 48, if they've agreed to contract for 21 more, that means 69. But people are now taking that up to a case of this means they're no longer going to buy 138. Now, I, as I said, I was always skeptical about them buying 138 apart from through life. But the more I sort of think about it, going, why weren't we sceptical about them buying 138 when they only had a contract for 48? Why are we now something sceptical? Was anyone seriously expecting to, I don't know, put in a contract for 90 mm-hmm. aircraft? That's not how you buy the F-35, is it? You don't buy, order a huge contract of 90 aircraft in one gulp. 21 seems, 21 seems to be a rather large number of, to put into one you know, set to buy.
0: Yeah, but given how, lo- how long and difficult it is to build these things, you've certainly got to telegraph your intentions to um, the manufacturer, for sure. Yeah. And you've also got to uh, reserve your position in the production line queue, given that it's uh, being uh, distributed among so many different nations.
2: So that, I, I think the 21 makes sense. But I also think, could again, you know, this way, could Britain have ordered more? probably well, look, not yeah, I, I, I have to say that yeah you know, all the other, the other nations
0: Britain just seems to be having a very very original way of dealing with this i mean normally you have reserve air groups to cycle through your aircraft carriers royal navy is going for reserve air, aircraft carriers to cycle through its air group
2: ah <laughs> uh, you can you can't say that right you you you're doing the head behind the the hands behind the head thing I know this is coming
1: yeah it's it's well put it this way in i can't think actually outside of the first world war of any circumstance where the the final number of aircraft acquired by either the fleet air or the r a f has ever been anything close to what they originally placed their order for um I mean, even, even when you go as far back as the interwar period when they're ordering things like the Skewer or the, the Fulmar or the Seafire, obviously in wartime, or the Swordfish, there's always a stated intent of we need X number of aircraft, but they never buy X number of aircraft straight off. They always buy a first batch and then they buy another batch and then they buy another batch and so on and so forth. Mm. I mean, it's even like the Typhoons, how many we've got, three tranches and then there's possibly a fourth tranche which is the one with the Captor e radar etc which is what they're trying to upgrade all the previous tranches to so i think it's all very iterative and um,
0: it's very different different to australia because we very much do exactly you know the we're going to buy this number of aircraft and that's how many aircraft we end up buying we've done that for
1: we
0: yeah. yeah. we did that with the F-18, we did it with the uh, we're doing it with the F-35. I believe we did it with the you know, with the F-111 and the, and the Mirage. It, 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 I guess it's why it seems strange to me
1: from my perspective yeah.
0: that uh, you I oh, don't uh, have to say we want this many but, aircraft that's what we're going to budget for. So, yeah,
1: I think the I think part of it though is that Australia has a slightly simpler and easier to understand way of equipping its air force and it's well, yeah, but I mean, when when you had the F one eleven, you had the F one eleven is the strike aircraft, and then uh, I can't remember what, what did you have for the fighters at the time. You had the F one eleven, was it the Mirage? So you you had a, you had a strike aircraft and a fighter aircraft, and that was that. And now you've kind of got a fighter strike aircraft, which makes things even easier because you've got one main type of fast jet. Whereas when you look at well, I at, mean, what, what, one type of jet, if you consider the F eighteen.
0: Um, you know, a, C mm. to be anything like the Super Hornet, um, which is just a different aircraft with the same name.
2: Yeah, but they look the same on a budget, uh, when you're reading a budget yeah. report, they're all Super Hornets. <laughs>
1: um, Stop getting the...
2: complicated, Jamie. Stop applying your brain. That's not what the politicians want you to do. Yeah,
1: but the, um, the thing is well, that we the... are getting rid of the Super Hornets, of
0: course. So, sorry,
1: yeah. yeah, but I mean, when, when you look at the RAF and the Fleet Air Arm, there's always been a multiplicity of aircraft you had the tornado the tornado f3 which i suppose is kind of similar to call calling of the f85a and the super hornet the same thing um, but you also had the jaguar the sea harrier um and actually the earliest tornadoes were rough just about contemporaneous with the last phantoms and then you go back further the fleet aram had the phantom and the buccaneer as the fast jets whilst the the Royal Air Force had the Lightning, the Javelin, and the Hunter, and before that you had things. You had sort of the Sea Vixen and various other aircraft floating around. So the the British armed forces, between the FAA and the RAF, have usually had anything between four four and six different fast jets at any given time. And the fact that the Jaguar and the Buccaneers retired and left us with Tornado and F three that was actually relatively rare and then the, the faa had the sea harrier and then more recently um, and of course
2: t- there was the harrier which was different to the sea harrier yes
1: yeah they uh, were na- different
2: aircraft as well but so. now
1: now we're down to typhoon and f-35 so it we're we're and uh, at some point i'm supposed tempest or Tyrannus successor or whatever will pop up but for the minute we're down to two aircraft types in various models and iterations as far as the fast jets are concerned so i think it's a holdover from that old system where you'd be buying one year you'd be buying hunters the next year you'd be buying you'd be buying lightnings and because you had to bring everyone up to strength and that's before we even get into what what we were doing with the, the v bomber force up until the 80s um you have to kind of balance all of those out and there's there's still they're still looking, I think, in looking at it in that manner. And to be perfect, honest, the other thing is the F-35 is still continuously receiving upgrades. So it wouldn't have made sense to get uh, all the F-35Bs in one block right at the beginning. It, it's, because,
0: it's still only IOC. Because, yeah. yeah. Initial operational.
2: <laughs> and and th- this is part of the thing when you're ordering these aircraft. This is what some people don't seem to notice that. If you do, and it seems confusing to people that we are buying an aircraft which is not yet at its full as uh, st- uh, full capabilities. But honestly, you could argue Eurofighter wasn't at its full capabilities till Tranche three. Possibly won't be until Tranche four. And the the big thing we're looking at, and um, you know, with Britain, the reason why its aircraft often changes its procurement is because it, and that's a big thing. We're going to procure all these aircraft. And you get into it and go, okay. so what do you need? What are you once you're procuring? One of the things I do note with the the British system now is that for the first time, there are a lot of people criticizing it. But I actually agree with it for what I I think it's sensible is that we've agreed the budget before we've worked out the strategy. The budget has been announced before the ISDR has been announced. When you consider all the previous times, we've produced these wonderful papers on strategy and lovely strategy documents. And then a few months later, we've allowed us a budget which won't support it. Perhaps now, knowing the budget they've got, we will actually get a strategy so that the budget delivers the strategy we've come up with, rather than us having a beautiful strategy on paper and then not being able to deliver it. So we look great on paper and then reality is a load of salami slicing.
0: Yeah, I guess it's
2: true. Uh, people are critiquing because they're going, you shouldn't agree the budget without strategy. Yes, but every time we've ever we've ever agreed the uh, the strategy, before we've agreed the budget, the budget hasn't matched the strategy. So perhaps, I know it's not, uh, I, it, in the, the, the sensible priorist part of me thinking this would go, would love it to be the strategy agreed and then the budget agreed to support it. But seeing as every time in my life, I have seen a strategy agreed, the budget hasn't supported it um i quite like the concept of trying just this once just to see how it works the budget before the strategy
0: yep and i guess it just means that all the fighting for the money happens
1: after (laughs) uh the, the other thing to bear in mind with aircraft is that actually aircraft and ships is that whilst within our lifetimes we've gotten used to a certain rate of procurement i am seeing an acceleration of generational procurement which actually more closely resembles the the habits of the cold war and even the run-up to world war ii because we've all all three of us to varying degrees have grown up mostly in the immediate post cold war environment and when you look at that if you look at say aircraft the f you have the in the u.s case you have the f-15 which there's of air dominance fighter But as far as the F-15A and C models were concerned, obviously they kept building the E, the Strike Eagle for a a lot longer, but as far as the A and C models were concerned, that aircraft was a mature design units delivered well before they started development on the F-22. The F-22 then started development right at the tail end of the Cold War, but they didn't get the first fighters delivered for almost two decades. Um, But then you look at the F-35... And okay, the F-35 has a tortuous development history that's lasted pretty much my entire adult life plus more, considering that it was the X-35 when I was halfway through high school. Um, I'd
2: say that's a prob- possibly, and I- I'm giving something away, and I, I-, I-, I hope people don't, uh, sort of, it's not too bad to say, I think, it's been going most of Jamie's adult <laughs> life. And, you know, he- he's got just a couple more great yeah
1: (laughs) but the um but 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 when you look at now with the sixth generation fighters that they're talking about the u.s started its research into sixth gen fighters in a serious way about five years ago before the first f-35 had actually even flown um and Which they is
2: would. definitely a return to the interwar period when the mm. Americans were pretty much ordering, as they were ordering one aircraft, they were already developing its successor and starting on its successor, successor.
1: So it's yeah.
0: it's either that or just another sign as to how catastrophically
1: delayed the F thirty five was. Yeah, so mix. I think it's a mixture of both because you've got you've got the F twenty two and to a certain extent also the Typhoon. Being these very long development projects because they were they were going to be the next gen thing at the at the tail end of the cold war and then the cold war kind of stretched it all out because the funding and the need and the urgency just wasn't there anymore the f-35 as as we said yeah it's been a bit of a, a mess but they're now now with tensions escalating again we're looking at procurement actually starting to ramp up faster so we've got the sixth gen in the in the states we've got tempest in uh the uk and with the various other people have joined in with that and even other people are beginning to look into it i mean the the there's a european consortium that's sort of kicked in about two three years ago um russia's already thinking about a sixth-gen fighter, even though they are still trying to get the Su-57 into service. So we're we're seeing that kind of interwar and early Cold War overlap in designs. China in is air.
2: just building, building, yeah, building, they're just
1: building anything building. that will fly. Um, but I think that's that's somewhat reflected now in in naval procurement as well, where we're now talking about a Type 32 when we don't have a Type 26 or a Type 31 in the water. But I think it also reflects back on the the F-35 procurement because it's it's all well and good saying we'll have F-35s here, there and everywhere for the next, ordering them over the course of the next five to ten years. But the simple fact of the matter is that in five, ten years, when theoretically we might be looking at the last batch of 30 F-35s being technically up for order... It might actually be time to start ordering Tempests. Mm-hmm. And it, so it makes a certain amount of sense there as well. Of...
0: Interesting, though, that at the same time we're starting to see mm. the F 15 EX.
1: Mm.
2: And also, I would point out that this just occurred to me. We're all wondering what the Type 32 is going to be.
1: it be a revamped Type 23?
2: We know what it's going to Could it to be. be a revamp Type 23? Let's be honest, that's just 23 spun round. <laughs> it, it, it's what it is. The Type 23 is going to carry on in service.
0: You, you mentioned that the River Class has got a modular uh, space available,
2: Yeah, well, that's where
1: you can put the Challenger.
2: Mm. Yeah, that would be. That could probably be. The Army won't
1: be needing them. So, surely, surely you mean the, the her, her Majesty's land based Marine Corps? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry.
2: The, no, the British Army has. I mean, has they've
1: got. A, they've got few enough tanks now. You could probably just go back to calling them landships and giving them all names. Ooh, they
2: do, don't that, they? To be fair, that actually wouldn't be. That, that
1: they do have names, don't they? Some of them do. I don't think it's all official. It's completely official. I know the test ones called Megatron, but since they're C, <laughs> you could call them the C-class landships and start resurrecting all of those from various destroyer flotillas and such. Oh.
2: To be honest, I wouldn't mind that because uh, well, I I I think the army would be quite cool if they had all their tanks named after mm. various destroyers. I think they could enjoy. I I think the art uh, of the Royal Tank Regiment and the Royal Navy could get behind that, uh, and they could link up their tanks with their the destroyers, and they could form you know various fraternal societies. If you know, well, depending you can, on what the type thirty one or thirty two names you can, are,
0: you can do more than link up. You can world them. Mm. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure if Chobham Wells to steal mm. that well. well. It could be. It could be an interesting replacement for the deck gun. You could call. It, you could call it the tracked modular deck gun unit. <laughs> it comes with its own integrated fire control system, and if necessary, it can just drive off the ship. Well, if, if you ever need to upgun your dry storage ships, you know you've got. Mm. In fact, mm. it also solves the shore bombardment problem because if you end up if you end up going that route and then you. Uh, you, you come across a target that's further inland than you can reach from the sea, then that's fine. You just drop the ramp off of the bow and <laughs> your your deck gun goes after the enemy. <laughs>
0: look, look, uh, look, we can be accused of plagiarism here. The, the Iranians have already thought of this. Mm.
1: And yeah. Been... yeah but... fair, they're copying the Americans, though. And, and to be fair, given that it, it's the Iranians, are we sure that this is actually something they're doing or another one of their one-to-two scale models? Like we'll the picture of, them. yeah, like, like they like they're, um, honestly, a carrier, a Nimitz carrier, gov. That's that's a what, a first they've sunk about
2: three times, yeah. They, they there's, keep there's
0: definitely a container ship that's been painted gray, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's got helicopters, um, speed boats, and um, uh, mobile missile launchers um, strapped to its deck
2: now. What, that what you sounds what like you a really advanced really capable configuration coming from the iranians
1: i mean yeah but again are we, are we absolutely sure that this is um
2: are we sure it, those are scale
1: because remember you've got that there was that what was that that quahair 313 the stealth fighter that they oh, debuted yes. that could only be flown by, flown by a four-year-old because it, it was two-thirds <laughs> scale it could it could just be some uh, yeah it could just literally be a bunch of two-thirds scale decoys on a ship It'll go well with their their two third scale carrier and their two third scale fighter jet. Maybe that's the secret for Iran's next generation military child soldiery.
2: <laughs> don't don't joke about that. That could be <laughs> actually be true of them. I, um, think it, I think
0: it's more than likely they just simply um hide the s- services of uh, Task Force seventy two, mm-hmm. the uh, Australian um, seventy two scale model shipbuilders. Mm-hmm. They've got some very nice clean ships if,
2: if you want to talk yeah. about. I I know, Jamie keeps looking at their site and going, please sponsor me by sending me one of your ships, preferably a large one.
1: I mean, when when they said they were going to have a new class of ships, I did kind of hope it would be like a T4X E-class Type 45 successor dash complement but I mean, the thing is, whilst it is a a fair bit of money and it does restore quite a lot of what was lost finance-wise in the 2012 SDR it at the same time, yeah, it's it's not quite enough money to fund an entire new fleet of of Type forty five scale ships, but it is going to be enough to get some new frigates. And whether they whether that's going to be a, a an enlarged Type thirty one, whether that's going to be a more Type twenty sixes under a different name, who knows? But it'd be interesting I... to see what the actual concept is.
2: I'd, personally, yeah, I personally, that's, that's
1: the I'd prefer to the, it, them really rather than go for a new frigate class. I'd rather they add an additional type 31 to the order. So you have six because five is an irritatingly uneven number and um, triggers my minute, my limited OCD. Well, you see, uh, <laughs> and the, then the, add some more type Twenty Sixes to the order as well. I, I'd
2: say I prefer that they upgraded both the type 26 and the type 20 in, uh, to 31 to nine ships, because mm-hmm. if you had both those classes being nine, if you need, you need five more hulls. That's what a Type Thirty. That's what they're telling us the Type Thirty Two is about. It's going to give us five more hulls. Well, give the Type 20, uh, 31 One four more, and you get nine, which is a very good number for operations. And oh, yeah, one more on the Type Twenty Six gives you nine. And I do notice that in my video, which I did about my dream navy, I did actually say uh, there was roughly. There 24 escorts because there was nine Type 31s, nine Type 26s and six Mm. Type 45s. The
0: the telling thing will be where this concept comes from. If it's a political concept or whether it's a Navy concept. Does the Navy want a new um, ship that addresses uh, um, a a previously unmet need? Or is it purely a political um, cost um, balancing exercise?
2: I think the Navy does want to increase its number of escorts. And one of the things I noticed is that, again, and I think this might be another reason why the Type 31 has been, is and Type the free destination is because also that's the lower crew option. So if you really want, basically I think the Royal Navy has turned around to the government and gone, fine, if you really want to go around the world, as you're telling us, you want to be global Britain, you keep talking about this, this is what we need. And we do need the extra presence ships because if you do want a forward base and I have a look at the way they're scaling up the presence in, in Singapore, it's now almost matching the presence it's, in Bahrain.
0: There's not going to be enough room because um, you're going to be uh, having to compete with uh, the US First Fleet for um, Singapore, mm-hmm. apparently.
2: Probably, but um, we've already got our base there and our wharfs paid for, so then there might not be enough room, but we've got it. Uh, <laughs> they Unfortunately, the thing is, we've been scaling up there for the last six years. They've just announced it. They're going to take a while to get there. We're, we've oh, already they've, got They've it.
0: announced their intention. They haven't actually mm. announced
2: it yet, so. Yeah, so uh, this is the thing. Once uh, When they get the first fleet there, by the time, there'll be a Royal Navy. Probably, and this actually might be another reason we're doing Singapore. Because if the Americans are going to put a first fleet in the Indian Ocean, then we need to have slightly more presence forward in the Pacific and Indian Ocean. And if we have two ships forward based in Bahrain and two ships forward based in Singapore, which I think is what they're looking at. Because, again, if you do have nine to ten of these type 30 somethings, you can forward base a couple of ships in Bahrain. You can forward base a couple of ships in Singapore with your crew concept, with the crew turnaround, with all these things and sustain them there. And then you can have presence in the Indian Ocean, the Gulf, and the Pacific when you need it, because you have four ships wandering around that area. So if necessary, if the Pacific is really problematic, you can surge one of the two from the Gulf, to, the, uh, to yeah. or you can bring one into the ocean and take the one from the Indian Ocean out into the Pacific. You can move it around if you have those two yeah. ships, and they become, mutually, they, become self, they become supporting forward operating I think, bases. I think
1: the other thing is if you look at the... the 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 traditional paradigm which is a reasonably good rule of thumb of at any given time you've got a third of your ships in refit a third of your ships going to or from refit and one third of your ships in actual active service if you look at the what you'd want for a, a serious carrier battle group for the royal navy that means you'd be deploying two or three type 45s and at the moment with the current projected plans for the type 26s and the type 31s you'd probably only get about four four maybe five and given that the type 45s are going to be your dedicated air defense ships they're not going to be able to form a picket and with the best will in the world i'd really love to see someone try and form a decent carrier screening force with four frigates you you, that means you can put one at each point of the compass because you're not going to be using the 45s for anything other than just forward, a
2: uh, uh, Type 45 40 will be 40s. close picket, a uh, close picket, and yeah. forward picket. Well, yeah. It'll be close. they will also your a Type 31 will have to be on carrier protection because, that, mm-hmm. to be honest, there's a reason she's got all the Type 31s have all those guns. Mm-hmm. They are the closing, they are the point defense ship for the task group for the principal asset. Yeah,
1: so you'll be that using. Means
2: really, you've got three frigates.
1: Yeah, you'll be using using your helicopters off of the 45s to probably help prosecute the the ASW, but that doesn't substitute for an actual ship. So at that point, it actually makes a lot a lot of sense to whatever this Type 32 turns out to be, because if that adds another four, five, six hulls, that gives you another roughly two ships, which suddenly means you now have six, maybe seven frigates that you can deploy, and then incorporate your plane card carrier guard frigate, and you've suddenly got a six frigate screen. And a six frigate screen is actually somewhat capable of securing the battle group against submarine threats and acting as point how, defense.
0: how viable is that though because surely those ships will also be needed elsewhere so it's, it's not like it's not like um
2: well you, know, you do the same, the same as the did in the falklands it. war mm. you surge the ships that you can get and you call cool up your very friendly antipodean and canadian Buddies and go, do you mind filling the gaps for us while we go out and yeah. and they go, Yeah, we'll surge what we've got spare to fill those gaps rather than coming down and go fighting. Although a very interesting task group will end up somewhere in the South Atlantic, which might have had a load of very interesting American and Canadian and Australian voices talking on the radio net, but we'll leave that to one
1: side. Um, but yeah, it's, it's. I think it's a case yeah. of if if the Royal Navy is needs to put out a carrier battle group that's got a full protective screen around it, that means something has gone seriously wrong somewhere in the world. At which point, yeah, they're they're going to be calling in favours to to keep an eye on the usual suspects whilst they go after whatever the big threat is. And and to be, be fair,
2: if, if they're dealing that big threat, those usual suspects might well be coming with them as part of the the carrier battle group. Yeah,
1: it, I mean, it, it, it depends on what that threat is. I mean, Argentina seems to have slightly cooled off on the idea of reclaiming the Falklands for the immediate term. So we're probably, let's face it, in all seriousness, looking at, at China. And if China is going, if China does something irrevocably stupid that requires a carrier battle group to be sent, it's going to involve everybody else in the region as well um And e- e- even if, even if, I suppose it's the same for the Middle East and North Africa as well. Yeah, and, and the Royal Navy already has, to be honest, in most of the major flashpoints, the Royal Navy already has some ships there anyway. So those areas wouldn't need to be covered because they're being covered by they'd be being covered by the battle group, which would be folding in the ships that are already in the area. Um, Again,
2: so having the Type 31s forward based in the Gulf or the uh, Type 31, 32s, forward based in the Gulf, forward based in Singapore. And also that's useful having forward based ships coming to your battle group because who's going to be most familiar with the area? Who's going to have the most up to date intelligence on the area and on the operations? Who's probably going to know who the local actors are, who the local nations are you're going to have to work with? It's going to be yeah. forward based ships.
1: And, and while well, the one third, one third, one third rule is a good rule of thumb, the thing is, if you're in an absolute crisis, you are going to hold off on certain things. So, as ships come out of refit and those will be accelerated, they'll be chucked into the into the conflict as ships that are either potentially damaged or wearing out are sent home. But ships that are potentially on their way home for a regularly scheduled refit or repair will probably. If they're if they're not considered to be long term viable for combat operations, they'll probably also be used temporarily to shore up the gaps in the other deployment areas, because you, you you're not necessarily going to need them at full full capability if they're going to just keep an eye on the South Atlantic, for example, for a few months until you can sort someone out either someone out to cover them or something else out to go and keep an eye on things.
0: This time around, though, I think you also need to get um, on the phone to your friends and the various uh, design bureaus to check as to whether or not these ships have been designed for um, hot weather operations. Yeah, that would help.
2: Well, to be fair, we the Type 31s have been specifically, they've had that specifically added in as part of their procurement, so that's quite good. Even though they are is a that, Danish design, so they were designed for, for the North Atlantic. No, they were designed for the North Atlantic first, and they've been adapted. Uh, the Type 32s, I, I think, as I said, my sus- strong suspicion is the Type 32s We be based on the Type 31s. That's my strong suspicion, because whilst everyone else is going to talk about all the other options, oh, we could go with the BAE Leander class, and this, that, the other... You, you don't, it's cheaper if you, to go uh, with what you've got yeah. what you've got and what you've got in construction it's just cheaper and easier and more simple and more straightforward training pipelines and all those things and plus the whole reason we got the Type 31 design is it's got space for adaptation, it's got space for improvement, that's why we chose that one over the Leander because BAE were very worried when they were pitching a Type 31 it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a threat to the Type 26 and it wouldn't be a threat to the River class, i.e. it had to be perfectly pitched in between so what you get is an extended river class which has a lot of bits already built in so it doesn't have much hull extension and so that's why the type 31 was in the end chosen because the leander as good as it was and i do admit it was a very good design it was very much an accountant's or marketing person's design in many respects so you know it's interesting and of course all of this is because of i we're all talking about a war fighting and that is what it all tends to come down to but i think this is about this this number of ships is about peace fighting i think it's a realization that you only have power if you show up presence is power presence is influence and if you don't have the ability to be there you have no influence
1: mm. well it's well, it's the whole thing about the royal navy's motto isn't it if you want if you wish for peace prepare for war so the the, the more shi- the more as we've said before the more ships you have in peacetime the more you can deter people the um, the less likely it is that there's a war will break out in the first place because if you let mean, let, let's sorry, face sir,
2: it I'll be back in a second the fluffy Researcher System would go like to go to the loo so, sorry
1: we'll edit that bit out
2: <laughs> no no I'll <well>, <laughs> carry on but I just <laughs> I'm just telling the
1: audience why I'm not going to be heard for the next couple of minutes. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of, like, say, if you look at that that whole thing that the Iranians pulled with the oil tankers in the Gulf a few years ago. They only really realistically even thought about trying that because there was one Royal Navy ship in the area and it wasn't expecting them to do that, and it was very touch and go for a while as to whether or not they'd keep on trying that and pairing up eventually the the navy got a second ship into the air and the whole idea in the iranians mind kind of died away and you're calling your friends yeah yeah but if um if there'd been two ships present in the gulf with one maybe on a more active alert and one on a more passive alert Mm. i don't think they would have tried it in the first place (laughs) and it's going to be the same thing with with even with places like china because as as you point out at the moment to be perfectly honest if i was the chinese navy and there was a royal navy frigate tooling around saying "Ah, ah, don't 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 do anything you kind of look at it and go "Mm -hmm, that's nice you and what army or what fleet i guess Mm -hmm. whereas if you see a type 45 and a couple of frigates or basically a small squadron floating around that's something of a more serious proposition
0: yeah well it's a Clear indication of um, commitment for one thing, mm. because you know it takes more effort to send three than it does one. Much more effort to sustain three than it does one. Um, so yeah, it's it's a typical case of put up or shut up. And uh, mm. having them there, um, you're putting up and you're shouting out. So yeah, look, I mean, no submarines though. No, uh, there was a big push, if I remember, for extra subs.
1: Yeah, it would be. It would be interesting.
0: Australia's going big on subs. We're making Mm. a massive, probably our biggest single uh, ship procurement of any type, a kind. Okay, that boats are our ships, but twelve subs is the slated ambition. I can't think of any class of ship other than maybe the Bathurst class corvettes. That we ever contemplated having in that sort of number before
1: mm-hmm. as
0: uh, the Australian Navy. Yeah. So
1: well the thing is I think with the with the Royal Navy with the astutes, they've got a fairly decent um program going. And not all of them are are um, actually even well com- certainly they're not all complete. I can't remember if the last if the last astute class has actually been laid down yet. It might well have been. Um, let's have a quick look.
2: So, Ashton, oh, so they
1: they have all been laid down now. So you've got eight eight on the way. But yeah, I mean the thing is, whilst whilst they're very nice to have, again it comes down to this kind of the defence budget, roughly going up by six billion a year that's going to be split between the army navy and air force let's um, let's assume for the sake of argument that you're talking about an a one-third one-third split we know it's not actually going to be that way but it makes it easier to sort of guesstimate an astute clocks in at around one and a half billion pounds so it's more expensive than a type 45 it's 50 percent more expensive than a type 45 it's probably three three to four times more expensive than a a frigate, depending on whether it's a Type 26 or a a Type 31, once the the initial program costs have got gotten out the door, and as a result, um, you get a you get a lot less prisons for your money. Yeah, yeah, I I I much as I hate to say, it, I'd rather see I'd rather see two or three more frigates in the water than a ninth uh, a ninth Astute class
2: i think also with the astutes and the whole thing is remember submarines aren't good for presence because their whole thing is stealth and being this sort of invisible thing they're great for the intelligence gathering they're great for the for deterrence if you the people know you have them but um and i think that's part of what australia is getting for but as for presence going we have a submarine and then saying it's there well that kind Mm. of destroys the whole purpose of the submarine so the thing is i think this is a sort of presence thing i wouldn't be surprised if submarines do increase at some point but also you have to remember britain has the next generation of ballistic missile submarines coming along and that's going to max out our submarine building capacity for a while
1: <clears throat> yeah. Unless we
2: start not going not for your budget, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a, a nicest way, that that that's basically going to hog the submarine services budget. Unless we start building some SSKs somewhere, we can't afford to do any more nuclear than we are doing at the moment with the ballistic missile submarines coming through. We'd love to, we will, but it would require a serious investment in terms of capital because we have one yard which can do the construction. And that has a limited amount of workers and a limited amount of space. So we would have to increase the workforce. And if you're going to increase the workforce, you have to be able to go right. Then we're not just giving you a job for a few years. We're going to give you a job for 20, 30 years. So we have to keep a certain, uh, a certain amount of construction coming through. We have to keep a certain pace of construction. As it is, the last dispute is going to be in uh, under construction alongside, I think, the first two of the new dreadnought class i think they are the bl- new ballistic missile submarines aren't they The dreadnought class
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i mean the the other thing is if you look at the, the the yards um the the yards will need the work for surface ships long before they need the work for the subs because you're averaging averaging about seven years from lay down to launch for most of these um subs albeit that probably could be accelerated but with A- 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 Agincourt being laid down in 2018 in theory that's probably going to be launching in three to four years time and then as, as Dr Clark said the moving on to the the dreadnoughts Whereas some of the yards that are supposed to be building type twenty sixes and type thirty ones, they're gonna be needing the work a bit before the last dreadnought rolls off the off the yards.
0: Just had a thought for the type thirty two. Didn't the Americans indicate they wanted the their new frigate design to go global? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, maybe one way to curry favor and keep those uh, U.S. Marine Corps F-35s on your carriers is to buy their frigates.
2: Uh, no, we wouldn't buy the American frigates. There is two good reasons why. The Americans will always design it for their manning profile. And adapted to our manning profile would be extortionate and honestly the whole point of these type any free version variation is they are supposed to be lightly manned the really low crew ones there's actually more part of me which thinks that this what the next type 32 could be an even more automated even lower crewed version of the type 31 No. Anyway, the and the second thing is the Americans are what they're looking at it, it it's kind of like the difference between their literal combat ship and what was originally called our literal combat ship and now our literal strike ship. The fact of it is that we have the say use the same phraseology to describe things, but what we want and what we're getting for that are often very different because they reflect our perspective on it not necessarily the American ones. And our perspective tends to be going, what can we offer that gives us a full spectrum capabilities, but also gives us the capabilities, which means we offer things which the Americans don't. So we're very useful to the Americans because we have the full spectrum capabilities, but we do things in ways or with capability, with profiles that they don't, which means that we are complementary were not yeah. easy to replace by just adding, sending in another American warship. It's
0: a nice of, idea, but uh, you
2: can afford it. Yeah, well, you see, that's the thing. That, that's what leads to things like the Type 45, because everyone else went Aegis. We went Samson. Why is Samson so useful to offer versus the Aegis system? Because of the very specific type of its... Da- uh, because of the way its radar works, because of the data it provides, it actually provides a very, very... How do I put this? Aegis is the system if you have a lot of ships. But Samson, uh, the Aegis uh, SPY radar is an excellent radar. But if you need something which is going to be very, very good against very, very small radar returns coming in at very, very high speed on very high angles or very low angles, i.e. very close to the surfaces or very high above, Samson is just a little bit better. Not much better, just a little bit better. Just enough that having a British a British Type 45 in your battle group, if you were going up against, let's say, China, would be very quite appreciated.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's how the British sort of sell themselves in many respects.
0: Okay. Yep.
2: Mm.
0: All right. So, any other aspect of the budget we haven't looked at?
2: Um, one of the interesting things again is, like the solid store ships, is that I think the RAF could be getting some more money for tankers. Reading between the lines, I think the RAF could be getting a support ships as well support aircraft as well, and that's one of the interesting things. That's it's something interesting. Again, we've I've I mentioned already the the strategy coming out after the budget, and that that mm-hmm. that, that that this is the sort of reverse of the normal. But actually. This basically means that when we're devising our strategy, we know we can be going to get slightly more tankers. We're going to be getting slightly more P8. Again, looking through the things because it's not in the actual things they haven't said they're going to procure them, but the infrastructure they have said they're. Go- if you look in the final, they're going to be increasing the infrastructure available to support them. So why are you increasing the infrastructure, i.e., the number of co- uh, uh, sh- a number of hangers you've got, the number of. Um, I'm not sure what they keep coming up with different names from the the covered sort of maintenance waiting spots they have for aircraft, etc. They are adding on to all these things. And you sit there and go, well, you wouldn't be doing that if especially not for the size of aircraft you're dealing with. Uh, unless you are going to be getting some more aircraft, maybe only a couple more. But or, again, you
0: desperately look, or you desperately need to look after the ones you've got as best you can to keep them in the air.
2: <laughs> yes, but we we've going we've got to have more spaces than we've got aircraft by a long way. We're well, talking you know, about... Uh, currently, we've got, we uh, it's going to be 50% more hangar spaces than we have aircraft. It's going to be 50% more hard spaces than we're going to have aircraft. So my thinking is that we could be talking an increase of four to six on the P-8s and about the same on the tanker aircraft. And that wouldn't surprise me.
0: Well, it means you can have a
2: decent foreign deployment of that type
0: while still maintaining a presence at home.
2: Exactly. And that's the thing. I think they're looking at it and they're going, well, hang on, these actually will be expeditionary assets as well.
0: Mm. Yep, okay. All right, well, let's put this way. If you, if you can't find enough space in Singapore, you're welcome to drop in down here in Adelaide.
2: Yeah, yeah, we do like to drop down to Adelaide. We've got, we've got Edinburgh Air
0: Force Base up there with the um, P-8s all ready to go, and we, we spit out the odd um, destroyer and frigate in uh, Port Adelaide here. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we, I'm sure we can do something for you guys
2: it'd be quite fun actually to have a deployment down in Adelaide actually they are considering uh, for if this is one of the interesting things is again if first fleet did turn up to Singapore there might not be space to do the maintenance and support of the Queen Elizabeth class in Singapore and whilst they'd love to say they're going to do it all from Bahrain that's not going to be possible so you know you might well find a Queen Elizabeth class comes and visits Adelaide and goes hello we're nice and big and cute
0: I can remember visiting two British ships in the eighties,
2: um,
0: not all that long after the Falklands War. One of them was Beaver. I remember that much. I can't remember what the second one was. So Everyone can remember the, the first time
2: they, they go Beaver. I, I went
0: and had a bit of a wander, had a bit a bit of a wander around <laughs> um, the, those two ships at, at that time because they were topical and they were veterans.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Drax Face when I made that joke was going, You can no. we cannot go there. We cannot go there. No, but I I, I do remember some of the cartoons which were ever whenever HMS Beaver visited countries in the world, the local navy, the cartoons which had come out were just as you can imagine. <laughs> I'm um, sure it
0: was deliberate. Sure that's probably why she was the ship that went everywhere.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it did get it carried a lot of jokes. Um, but no. All right, well, yeah. no, okay. uh, it's, it's a good. One. So let's get on to the thing of why are we increasing? Why are people increasing their fence? Because it's not just Britain that's increasing its budget, Australia, as you said mentioned earlier, is buying the largest number of submarines, it's our largest class ever procured, and their submarines. This is why I keep my headphones on even when I am put in the if, if it happens. It's, it's
0: so far, it's still um classified as uh. Uh, I don't know, fantasy wear at this point. It's uh, everyone, everyone keeps saying that um, it's all on track and it's all going well, but uh, we're seeing no evidence <laughs> uh, that this is actually the case.
2: So. To be fair, though, I did once watch the video. I think it was one of your rear admirals talking to one of your senators about the submarines, and there was part of me which was worried if she had anything to do with procurement. <laughs> well, you said that about most. Uh, uh, what was oh, what was the video? I I, I remember it. The, the, she basically asked him whether the whether it could stay the water for only eighteen seconds or eighteen minutes, and I was sitting there going, uh, "That's not a submarine. That's a submersible." Um, where did you get that from? That, that yeah, difference... the, the main thing I was worried about was what her uh, what you, you see. The thing is, I don't expect politicians to be experts. I do expect them to have researchers who will help them acquire enough information to be able to coherently cross examine someone in a topic. Well, th- so they the question, all pay for those. They all pay for those researchers. Do they listen to them for status? But also, <laughs> did, has the researcher done any more any research? Even use Google? Uh, I just You'd think so.
0: Mm. But nevertheless, it's not, it's, look, I mean, I'm sure it's a subject that we can. Go into for a whole session itself, the Australian uh, submarine procurement procurement exercise and uh, whatnot.
2: Oh, that could be fun. We could be cross-examining Jamie for once, Dr. (laughs) No. (laughs) I would have to
0: try and find. I would actually have to try and find someone who knows a bit more about it than me, uh, which would be just about anyone. But yeah.
2: Luckily, next week we do have a real expert. uh, We've been talking about the F thirty five, but we do have actually a real expert on the F thirty five coming on next week for episode twenty six which is um steve george
0: mm. uh yep i've already sent him my long long list of questions
2: Just yes. out of interest which is very very
0: politely and patiently answered i'm very grateful for that
1: have we um have we heard back from kate yet no the curse has struck again
2: yeah that's my belief the curse has struck again again for listeners who haven't already got updates on this curse Every time we book, and we always book real experts in their fields. We're very lucky in Bill Tronson that we are able to get really, really good experts. And we've got some fun coming up in that. We've got some fun coming up in terms of the Christmas specials and all sorts of things. We've got some great people coming for that. But every time we book an expert in their field who happens to be female, we don't know what happens. So every time something goes wrong and they end up not being able to come on and when i say every time we had a pair a pair of brilliant young historians booked last week they had issues come up we've had my girlfriend book to come on and she had tremendous issues come up which she's had to deal uh, she was uh, dealing with and um, they all had it's all been good reasons it's no one just blowing us off which we've I probably
0: shouldn't
2: use Are you phrase, sure but, they didn't just you know, google us first? No, they're actually quite keen on us and the, the point about Kate is she actually was originally going to be a mem- going to be our fourth member to be part of the quorum but then she had things come up which meant she couldn't take part in the first three episodes and by the time it's all gone on she felt that she didn't want to join regularly as we'd established ourselves and that was fine but she was going to come on to talk about maritime security because there's honestly No one who knows maritime security better than her. Uh, She is one of the people who spends their life organizing those people who go around the world who basically most governments try and pretend don't exist. But if your ship is going through pirate invested waters, will turn up and be smiling and probably festooned with various instruments and make sure that no pirates come aboard your ship. Because if they do, they will have a nasty surprise. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What have we done, guys? Which, co- which, which God have we upset?
0: <laughs> Any number of them, I'm sure. Is this actually... It's probably, it's probably actually the, um, the British Army that's uh, behind all this. Mm.
2: We could always blame the British Army. It's either them possibly China. Possibly we've upset China so much because we do, do talk about them on occasion and explain exactly what they are doing, which is nutty. Speaking of which... Gentlemen,
1: have you heard the latest little things come out from them? Oh, was one? there was this them threatening five eyes? Yes, oh that was funny that, uh, that was hilarious.
2: five eyes will be poked and blinded over the Hong Kong stance.
0: Yeah, look oh, you know yeah.
2: I did actually it's think like, that was quite cool the, them going the, we're going the, to poke the, and blind five eyes
0: the gentle words of diplomacy hmm.
2: Yeah, the gentle words of diplomacy ended a long time ago, unfortunately.
0: It seems to have gone that way. Um, but, you know, they're still spitting out ships faster than ever. Um, they, they've, they've, I see that they've actually been um, working on their um, J 15 so that next time it takes off from Leoning or uh, her sister ship, it, it might actually be able to carry some missiles. Um, they're giving the the uh, aircraft uh, vector thrust, and it seems like they're they've got some in production or in prototype form already. So yes, they've been listening to us.
2: Yes, that's good. <laughs> I didn't know the, uh, Not, but, not, but, not uh, that
0: we're uh, pretending to actually be ahead of the curve here or, or anything.
2: But, no, no, it's just it's it's just becoming quite disturbing how often we start talking about something and then a few weeks later track is keeping a running t- a tally mm. of this of how quickly things turn up after we've talked about them
1: oh, well i mean obligatory mention again for the uh, for the 20 to 25,000 ton uh, royal navy trimaran command cruiser yes. since they since they are listening to us i, I figure if i say it enough times <laughs> it's it's going to happen I and mean, they've just come on, we've got a few more billion in the in the navy's budget Maybe that's, that's what the Type If the Army covers. really
2: manages to not deliver a plan and really doesn't get any funding at all, then, you know, the, the, the Tri-Man is the way to go. Mm. Is the tri moran is the way to go. Um,
0: but but the to... Yeah, well, I back to... Well, I mean, it's fairly calm there. A tri should be able to get up to a decent amount of speed.
2: Yeah, that's the point. I, I, <laughs> I,
0: guess, I guess that's why they've got the, the tri um, the Royal Combat Ships there.
2: Yeah, which are basically all about high speed. Which was an mm. idea. I think I often think the reason the Americans went for high speed is the idea that then you could use there that you can use fewer number, numbers to cover more area because of that the presence thing. But they forgot the they, one that, small look,
0: problem. It, it's, it's really, it's really very very simple. They saw HMAS Jarvis Bay when it went up to Indonesia and um, <clears throat> they thought now that's one goddamn sexy ship and mm-hmm. they wanted some of their own
2: yes to be fair sense to me. Uh, see, the, the thing is I love that you just said that because my girlfriend swears I'm the only person she knows who calls ships sexy so the fact that you just did <laughs> as well is fine
0: yeah, well it's probably also why they don't appear on our, uh, on our um, podcast Oh, but yes so the j-15t that's the um designation of the uh enhanced carrier capable uh fighter for china and they also
2: have a new unmanned helicopter they're talking about which is going to go and the thing is china is producing a lot of things and the trouble is you have to react to it because it is a potential threat because okay you and i uh, us three might well think that xi jinping is quite happily to try and bluster and push and will occasionally do things like threaten india and these sort of things and do uh, the pushing down there and probably is very repressive in hong kong as we speak and might well have dreams of taking over taiwan if he thinks he can get away with it Mm, but but you, know, I mean, you know, we all are, uh, we're all fairly sure he's actually quite logical in these things. If he doesn't think he can get away with it, he won't probably do that things. But we don't know who's going to come after him. This is always the problem, because it's, it's, in experiences, yeah. dictators te- dictators tend to be their successors tend to be um, it's less stable.
0: It's also what dictators do to prevent successors from popping up. Yeah, that's just as much of a worry. So, I mean, this is you know, they're spending megabucks on building carriers. So, they've got essentially two training carriers in the water at the moment, and they're building their first really serious carrier. It's you know, undergoing assembly even as we speak. So, basically, they've done the Argus and
2: Hermes, they're now building the first Furious, I suppose. Yeah,
0: so so the point is, is that you know, they need aircraft to go on those aircraft carriers, it's kind of a problem the Royal Navy can relate to. Um, In this instance, they don't have F-35s. In this instance, they're trying to uh, go the Russian route, which is modifying the uh, Sukhoi-33 flankers. Problem is they're big and heavy, uh, which makes them rather difficult to operate off of a small carrier. which is why whenever you look at the footage of these things taking off, they basically never have anything attached to their wings or their hard points. Um, so okay, the first serious carrier coming out is going to be bigger, but it's still, you know, we don't know whether it's going to have catapults and uh, arresting a resting gear. Uh, that takes time to perfect, time to get used to.
2: That so basically even if it would does, turn their third carrier into another training development carrier.
0: It, it, it would, yes. So, but even so, it's still going to need an aircraft that you know, has that ability to for short takeoffs. Doesn't matter how you describe it, whether it's um, off of a off of a catapult or if it's off a um, ski ramp, and uh, things like uh, you know, vector thrust engines will assist that. And that will also mean that those two training carriers they have at the moment might actually be useful as escort carriers where they can launch aircraft carrying two or four air missiles. So, um, you yeah, know, this, again, it's probably take a couple of years before this takes um, flows through to the um, actual surface fleet, but uh, it's, it's yet more evidence that the Chinese are determined and committed to actually create a, a blue water carrier fleet.
2: And the thing is, people go about blue water, they keep trying to change the goalposts. I, I, I see some people on, especially Twitter, but various other things, keep trying to change the goalposts of what a blue water, going, okay, the Chinese won't be a blue water navy until they deploy a carrier to this Atlantic. Does anyone really want the Chinese to deploy a carrier battle group to the Atlantic? Does anyone imagine what the effect will be on the various nations if China deploys a carrier battle group to the Atlantic? The shock, the horror. The French suddenly announcing they are going to procure a second aircraft carrier, the British suddenly demanding that they procure a third or even a fourth, the American thought... the American Navy going into panic overdrive overdrive and rebuilding midways or Essexes as quickly as they can. You know the 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 effect of a Chinese carrier battle group appearing in the appearing in the Atlantic would really not be good.
0: Would it or would it be just like the appearance of the Russian thing?
2: No, because the Russian thing turning up mostly flat, uh, mostly is smoking, is belching smoke, and everyone's getting their lifeboat services
1: ready to go. Just and in it's case. going, and it's going somewhere else. Yes, it's not, it's not show I think people would be a lot more worried if Kunetsov showed up with six escorts and its purpose was just to sail around the Bay of Biscay and the Western approaches looking menacing as opposed to everyone knows exactly where it's going and it's going to wander off into the Mediterranean and, and get involved in the let's bomb the Middle East shenanigans.
0: An interesting thing, side note to that um, it spent most of that time uh, without aircraft because one of its aircraft broke its arrest of hooks, or arresting gear. And um, the air group therefore spent the rest of the time deployed from land bases in Syria. So the Russians themselves have the same problems that the Chinese are facing. Their aircraft are just too big for the flight
1: deck. Well, so I think yeah, that's probably. one of the reasons why they've gone back to using a um, navalized MiG-29. I think is their next generation, as opposed to navalized Sukhoi-27s, because the twenty-nine, the MiG-29 is a somewhat lighter aircraft. Mm.
0: Um, no. well I mean, I, that's one thing I haven't seen lately is uh, what stage of repair a Kuznetsov is, is in after it's uh, fire and uh, floating dock accidents
1: I know they got the crane off they got t- the crane off the flight deck which is useful
2: uh, I, I'm told she's able to float
0: <laughs> well that
2: helps it it's does just, help
0: I, I, I guess they have had plenty of time to clean the boilers
1: Mm. maybe you can find some better fuel sources yes anyway
0: so yeah I'm really interested to see what this uh, next generation Chinese carrier ends up like Um, at the moment all the open source intelligence photos are just uh, showing rather large modules slowly being added end to end so um, right once we start seeing the shape of the flight deck appear, then we might have to infer a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah. yeah. Whether it's going to be, and also the other thing is no one's told us yet with the Chinese are going to come with the new cool thing that's going on and go for dual Island. Are they going to go single <laughs> Island? Are they going to be, are they going to be stayed conservative old fashioned, or are they going to go for a dual Island approach?
1: Well, that, to be honest, I think that the, the the fact they're iterating on the design their their various designs as they scale up they might very well actually be putting themselves in a fairly decent position um with regards to the whole future of aircraft because as we've talked about before here and as is becoming very very much more apparent when all these various sixth generation aircraft are being designed a lot of the thought seems to be that we're right on the edge of not necessarily fully unmanned, but optionally manned and loyal wingman escorted manned aircraft, which could have quite a different. They could that could require quite a different carrier. Um, and if you've got, say, well, um, the Royal Navy's built the Queen Elizabeths the US Navy is building the Fords. They have that design locked in. But if that paradigm of what do you need on a carrier changes somewhat because of these, these changes and what kind of aircraft you're deploying occurs, the Chinese are actually, to a certain degree, in a relatively good position to exploit that because they don't have any particular carrier class design locked in for more than one or two ships at a time. And they are working their way up they are building more and more hulls so they could they could actually be the first to deploy a carrier that has these design modifications as and when those systems come in so the
0: type 003 could be a new dreadnought mode. yeah it
2: might be the type 004 yeah the type 003 has been locked in for a while you can tell that because it's going to sound strange again but if you make too many changes to the top of the ship as you're building it you can develop already with a carrier. Um, how do I put this? Stability issues. Because the top weight and the, 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 the whole air thing needs to be designed to accommodate. So one of the interesting things about the Queen Elizabeth class, and one of the things it's not spoken about, is that half the issues... Well, no, half the issues with well, it does have a sort of armored uh, flight deck, actually. Uh, armored, though, it needs to be armored because of the heat of the F 35 landing on it. We'll leave that to one side. Um, half the issues when it came to putting in an automated weapons management system that's going to produce it and be moving stores around the ship for to supply the aircraft and the, the flight deck and all those things. Half that was actually working out the stability calculations because you have the movement of the stuff taking place so fast. They're worried how it would affect the ship in terms of its operating in terms of operations if you have weight come being moved so quickly from one side to the other and up and up and, uh, and up and where it's going to go. So that mm-hmm. had that's really quite a in, in difficult thing to manage. I also think it's going to sound strange, but. Again, the Royal Navy has had that same fear which Drak has sort of put forward, and of course, you've got the French carrier coming along, so that could also potentially be the first carrier designed with the loyal wingman stuff sort of built in. But one of the interesting things I've noticed looking at the carrier designs and looking at the at the way the British have built their Queen Elizabeth class. They have a lot of maintenance equipment built into those ships a lot of maintenance facilities i would say maintenance facility wise they are on a par with the fords for a slightly smaller air group and you wonder if this was part of their preparation for the uncrewed aircraft because uncrewed aircraft you could conceivably if they're slightly smaller aircraft fit in a far larger air group but you'd still need as much main. You'd still need the same amount of maintenance, probably per aircraft, if not more. So you well, need 35
0: It's got all the 35 It's got serious maintenance problems.
2: Yeah, we'll find out when we talk to Steve George.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's next week, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that is. And. Uh, and gentlemen, uh, I will possibly put this picture up on the website when it comes up. But I have just received the first picture of the new assistant, Fluffy Research Assistant, we are getting. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'd send it through to you, so hopefully that makes you smile.
0: Yep. I'll I'll introduce him to mine.
2: Yeah. (laughs) He or she? It's a little he.
0: And name? Zebedee. Zebedee.
1: Were there any famous admirals named Zebedee? I have no idea,
2: but there has been a there was a, a gentleman in Cornwall who was friends of our family for years. We always used to meet when we were down in Cornwall because he lived in place, and he was
1: called Zebedee, And I think this one's been named for him. Fair enough. Very good. There, right. there is always the option of of calling him Duncan simply because he is tiny, yes. and it will be a hilarious contrast.
2: Yes. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, looking forward to next week.
2: Yeah. Thank you, James, um, for, uh, for the build, bumps.
0: All the yeah, chat.
2: that's a lot of fun. And oh. next week, well, well, next week we can be sure about our um, guest because we have got a hundred percent record with the average. Mm. <laughs> he's also I, I do not know why. What have we done? Who have we upset in the gods <laughs> of the ether?
1: Well, <laughs> I haven't built a conservatory on an ancient burial ground, so it's not me. Oh, <laughs> you know,
2: it's. it's it, it, it's bilge. It, I, I don't know what has bilge pumps done. Although speaking um, of, I did have fun with. Um, if you're not sure if you've seen the episode the recorded, video I put up about the Trent affair, that went up this morning at about six am, I think, and there was a great quote, and you're going to guess how I've adapted it, because it's from. Let me just try it get up. Right. On. It's from Lieutenant, the then Lieutenant David Dixon Porter, who, of course, goes on to become an admiral just after his. Um, uh, his uh, adopted brother, I think, um, uh, Farragut. And he's writing a letter to Gustavus Fox And it says I went on board a small English screw sloop the other day The Jason, 1859 And with her one Armstrong gun Which some folks say is, a failure, uh, say is a failure But I say is not She would whip the largest ship in the navy Out of her boots Or more properly speaking, her pumps As ships don't wear boots So mm. even back in 1861 The navies were talking about bilge pumps Because we were setting the tone then
0: Uh huh. All right. All right.
2: right. Right. Thank you.
1: Thank you
0: all. Bye. Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off.